I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. In this episode of the Plant Strong Podcast, I sit down with Damian Mander. Uh, if that name doesn't register with you initially, he has a remarkable segment in the Game Changers film. He is the founder and CEO of the International Anti-Poaching Foundation. It's located in Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe, where since 2009, he has been protecting different endangered wildlife species, such as black rhinos and, and elephants. He is doing really spectacular work there. He, his background, uh, he was an Australian Royal Navy clearance diver. Uh, after doing that, he joined the Army and did 12 tours of duty in Iraq as a special operations sniper. This is a man that, that has an unwavering ability to just go right to the truth in an unflinching and unapologetic way. He shares his kind of life's journey, ups and downs, in a way that is just heartwarmingly honest and refreshing. I love so many things about Damien and what he's doing. Uh, just so everybody knows, uh, there is a lot of profanity in this episode, and that is just kind of part of his Australian um, you know, kind of demeanor. And, uh, and so take it, uh, take it in the spirit in which it's delivered. Um, but in 2020, as we are faced right now with a, uh, uh, a planet that is warming, we have COVID-19 that is, you know, raging throughout the globe. Uh, there's never been a more important time for us to hear uh, the message that Damien has to offer. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode with Damien Mander. I have a favor to ask. 
before we kick off today's conversation with Damian Mander. The grocery system has been turned upside down the past couple of months. The Plant Strong team is working to increase access to the Engine 2 Plant Strong food line outside of Whole Foods Market, where the products have lived exclusively for the past 10 years. We could really use your help. What I'd like to ask you to do is to visit our show notes for the podcast and take a brief survey. We want to know where you shop and whether or not you'd be interested and online access to our Plan Strong products. Thank you in advance for your time and your feedback. I look forward to sharing some exciting announcements on this endeavor very soon. Gang, I want to welcome Damian Mander to the Plant Strong Podcast. Damian, it looks like you're you're in Zimbabwe, aren't you? Rip, how are you, brother? I am I'm good, man. I'm in Zimbabwe. Uh, many of uh, the expats that were over here have flown back home to Australia. I'm an Aussie, but uh, this is home for me now. So here we are. Yeah. And the last time that I saw you was January 2018. We were in Sundance uh, for the Sundance Film Festival for the premiere of the Game Changers film that, that you and I both were fortunate enough to be in. And, yeah. and, and you have a remarkable part in, in that movie. Um, now, before I get to that, I want to ask you, so when James, uh, James Wilkes and Joseph Pace and Louis Sahoyas flew over to Zimbabwe, probably back in 2016 or 17 to film you for this, yeah. did you have any idea that these guys were the real deal and that this was something that would turn into something like this? I, look, I, I see, I'd met James first and it was quite a few years earlier. Uh, I mean, look, I mean, you only have to do a quick, quick scan of a guy like that's bio and you realize like if he dives into something, he's, he's not messing around. So when he, when he, when he got in contact with me, say, Hey, look, we're doing this docker. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, and he didn't have a lot of momentum behind him at the time. And then he, he got, uh, he started getting it, building a bit of a crew around him and, you know, like anything, Hey, you know, uh, when you start from scratch, it takes time to get momentum and, and you know, the, the, the sort of guys that you're talking about there and they're not the sort of guys that, stuff around uh, it just takes time to get things off the ground and they did it they nailed it so uh like, did i have an idea how big it would be at the time no um was i confident that these these were the guys uh that could execute such a strong message yes so it's it's great what they've done uh the fact that it, it's been in so many living rooms around the world yeah. i still get emails every day uh, people saying they've watched the film they've gone plant-based and it, you know I, I i love that sort of stuff i love it i love it more when they're people like the guy that I used to be, uh, you know, the, the, the macho alpha type. And it was like, yeah, you know, watch that movie and I'm, yeah, I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. So, yeah. so the guy that you used to be, I mean, yeah. Tell me, uh, because outside of, you know, Sundance and spending maybe 15, 20 minutes with you and getting a, getting a kiss on the cheek, uh, yeah. that I'll have to put, put up, uh, on Instagram. Uh, you know, I, I don't know much about, you know, the, the guy you used to be, uh, yeah. can you like share that with the plant strong audience? So, I mean, to take it back to, I suppose a teenager, Hey, you know, as, 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 as a lot of young guys are trying to figure out who you are and, and where you fit into the world. And, uh, I don't know what it was. Actually, I'll tell you what it was, a, a small seed and I was doing it. Like whenever I do a podcast or an interview or something, that's like my form of therapy. 
And I got asked during an interview last year, you know, why did you grow up trying to be like this tough guy and, and all that? And I remember when my parents separated when I was 12 and I changed schools and I used to get the shit beaten out of me every day at school. I was, you know, I was quite young, seven or eight years old. And then I grew up like thinking, oh, shit, I never want, to, want that to happen again. And so, you know, I became, you know, trying to, always trying to be tough and this macho guy and eventually took aim at the vulnerable and, and that was in, in, through hunting. Uh, and this is before I joined the military. You know, so I became, you know, I was always out there hunting or shooting, you know, out there hunting animals and in the worst kind of way as the person that did it for fun and not for food or not even for fun for some for trying to like grasp on desperately to some form of primal respect. And, uh, and then I joined the military, you know, I went through and you know, I did, did some of the toughest shit you can, you can imagine. I became a clearance diver. That's our form of, Australia's version of, of US Navy SEALs, uh, yeah. uh, you know, going through, you know, our version of BUDS, it's called CDAT, the Clearance Diver Acceptance Test, uh, 12 days of, of getting between one and two hours sleep a day and just getting absolutely punished, you know, and I've never been like super, uh, like long distance runner type, endurance type guy, and I was always the heavy lifter type and, uh, you know, that coming out the other side of that, that program, you know, I was invincible, bulletproof. Uh, went on and uh, online as a diver in the Navy. Then September 11 happened, changed the world for, you know, a lot of people changed the world for me. Uh, a new unit called Tactical Assault Group East was formed. Um, a very small niche special operations unit uh, within the Australian Army. So I transferred across from Navy to Army. Uh, I've been there for two days and told I was going to be a sniper. So that was it, you know. Um, three years in Iraq, a uh, bunch of tours over there. And uh, you know, I never hunted after Iraq because um, I knew what it was like to be hunted. Mm. And, and that was sort of, you know, it was, it was the, Iraq had a way of breaking down the layers of ego that had been built up over first through insecurity. And we're all a product of our past. So this ego that had been built up, uh, you know, mainly trying to protect myself from, from, from the world, you know, and, and from my own insecurities. And then, uh, you know, eventually that gets broken down. You get a different lens through which to see the world. And it was that lens that, that led me to conservation and to animals and, and to where I am today. So uh, <laughs> did you ever know Paul de Gelder when you were back uh, in Australia as part of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the Royal Navy clearance diver? Man, uh, yeah. So Paul is, is a good mate of mine. I've got a, yeah. a, a you know, got a good story about Paul. Um, <laughs> he, like, so, I mean, I, I chat to Paul regularly and, you know, we're, we're over, he was over filming, uh, doing a doco with us. Uh, we're in, like in the bush in Zimbabwe and filming a doco. Right? And so we're doing this uh, like unarmed combat. And so there'd be basically two rangers fighting one person and you'd have to go in there. And, and so I go in there against the two rangers and, and I, get, I got fucked up pretty quickly. Hey? Uh, these guys, but, but but bearing in mind, I did train them, so you know I'm, I'm happy to be fucked up by my own subject, and uh, and then it's Paul's turn. Now Paul's, I mean, anyone that hasn't seen Paul, get on, uh, get well, on Instagram was, and social media. Paul, Paul, Paul was on season one of the Plant Strong podcast. Yeah. So a lot of our listeners know who Paul is, but yeah. And he, and he, and he was one of you, he spoke at the conference too, didn't he? Yeah, he spoke at Planstock last year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so you know, now Paul gets in with these two rangers and he, he, Paul has a far less tolerance for shit than me and he's not <laughs> taking any shit from these guys. And so he's got, he's got these guys in a headlock and he's going, he's going, 
he's going for he's going for for the home run, you know. And he's he's trying to take these guys down, and he's doing a good job of it. But in the process of that, his leg comes off, and uh, you know, because he's got a prosthetic leg, and then the arm comes off, and he's still messing those two guys up. But then at that time, a, a vehicle drives around, and it's full of tourists, and all they see is these uh, these two rangers looking like they're beating the crap out of this this guy who's missing now missing a leg and an arm <laughs> oh, no. and I'm like having to having to explain to them hey you know this is it's it's cool you know this is part of part of the filming and Paul's actually Paul's actually beating these two guys now but uh yeah, it took a little bit of explaining to do because they were horrified you know but um yeah the Paul uh but Paul is also you know I suppose as we all are you know a, a product of our past and and the hardships that we go through and you know, it's, he's he's a he's a tough guy through what he's been through, but he's a tough guy because of of the lessons that he's learnt and he's copped on the chin and he's taken it, he's moved forward and he's used all the scars that he's had in his past to to make himself who he is now. Very much so, and he attributes uh, you in a big, wonderful way for his yeah. kind of tran transition to going uh, going plant based. Yeah, cool man, the vegan. Yeah, well, he yeah, yeah big time. Um, yeah. Let me let me ask you this. So you you did what was it? Twelve tours of uh, of duty in Iraq. So I w I went to Iraq as a contractor, private contractor. Uh, yeah. Worked alongside. It was part of U.S. Uh, uh, coalition, U.S. led coalition. And for us, you know, contractors, uh, the shortest period I did over there was two weeks. The longest period I did was six months. So yeah, I mean, you're going in and out. But yeah, I've done you know a dozen times I went over there. So yeah. over three years. So yeah. so so. You know, after six times, you kind of probably know what to expect, or you know. And I'm wondering, like, at what point did, were you like, okay, I've had enough of this. I, I don't need to go back for a 13th or a 14th time. Um, was it, was so it the I, money? Was it the money? Yeah. Was it, what was it? Yeah, so, I mean, we were, as contractors over there, we were making a hell of a lot of money. Uh, and... I have a tendency to be able to spend money quite quickly. Fortunately, <laughs> my mother, my mother, who was into real estate uh, when I was still in my teenage years, uh, recognised that I was shit at saving money and told me to start investing in residential property, which I did. So I bought my first house, uh, like twenty twenty one, and then had been building up this residential property portfolio in Australia. And then the money I was making in Iraq was just all going into that. And then, of course, every time you leave Iraq. It's like shit, you know. I've come out alive. So you go out, and you know, I was, I didn't, I wasn't married, didn't have a family, so I was backpacking around the world, traveling. Uh, and then, of course, that's the first party you, 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 you break is like shit. I've made it out, awesome. Let's go and party. But then the second half is like, okay, I'm going back to war in in, in like a week or two weeks. It's like, fuck, it might be my last holiday. So you know, we'll, we'll party for the second half of the trip as well. So that in itself is a bit of a Yes, yeah. I mean you're just like swinging, man. Like from from war to like just this chaotic travel schedule and back to war, and yeah, it's it's um it's a pretty turbulent time, hey. And and uh, you know, I do a lot of do a lot of speaking in America and traveling around and uh, speaking to audiences that are quite acutely aware of of the amount of suicides, veteran suicides we have in the U.S. Twenty two veterans a day committing suicide, and uh, it's you, you go from these units these whether it's special operations or whatever unit you're with, uh, where you're surrounded by people that, that have been through what you've been through, they, they've got your back. I mean, you know it. You know that, you know that sort of uh, 
and I'll say brotherhood because the units I was with, they were, they were, they were all men. I don't know if, when you were in, uh, with the fireys in Austin there, if, if there were women involved, but it was for us, it was a brotherhood. Yeah. And then when that stops, the brotherhood stops and the purpose is gone. And purpose, I think, is, is, is the most elusive thing in, in life. Um, so, you know, I decided to leave um, after three years. I'd made a shitload of money and invested that into residential property. Financially, I didn't need to be there anymore. From a complacency standpoint, you know, I, you know, I was waking up in the morning, signing out weapons and rolling out onto missions. And it's like, fuck, it's just another day at the office. And that, that's not natural. Uh, and the complacency that had set in with me wasn't fair on the people that were alongside me. And so I was like, fuck, I don't need to be here anymore. And, and, and I'm not supposed to be here anymore. That chapter's closed. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so I just want to like revisit that just for a second. Then I want to move on. But so, I mean, it sounds like it was an insanely dangerous place to be. And was it just because you didn't know what else to do that you just kept putting yourself back into that, you know, that bullseye, that target of danger, or was there certain like euphoria about going back and doing that? Uh, you Um, mentioned the swings back and forth. Um, man, it's just, becomes normal hey you know yeah. by by the end you know there's nine years into doing that shit and it's just what you're trained to do you know i went i mean i i went from from school i i was supposed to go to, to university i think you guys call it college i was going to go do graphic design and then doing a bit of electrical work here none of that worked out i was i was, I was a fucking garbologist man i was chasing a garbage truck picking up garbage cans that was my job <laughs> uh, before i joined them joined the military hey so i joined the military and it's like fuck i never looked back and uh um yeah it was just i, I don't know what it is you just get caught up and then eventually yeah. you it, it, it the, the, i suppose the dangerous part about it is it becomes normal and then uh you know whatever the trigger point is it's, it's like okay i don't need to be here anymore i actually i didn't um my parents didn't know i was in iraq i didn't tell my parents for the first two and a half years that i was there because uh, you know i got a very close relationship with them i was uh quite nervous about how they would react uh knowing that i was in in that situation i so i just said i was working as a security advisor in in dubai and uh, we did then a, a few um a few guys that I, I worked with got killed and they knew that we worked together and uh you know that was in the, in the newspapers back home and it's like fuck yeah all right sorry sorry mum. I'm, <laughs> I'm in iraq so but yeah it's um well that's yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's you know that's a i mean reflection on it you know young kids going over there to fight the arguments of old men yeah. uh, uh yeah we, I, I wouldn't change a thing but you know when you've got a bit of distance between uh being there and where i am now and being able to look back and reflect on it it's yeah it's a shitty thing eh? yeah so uh and, and when did you come out of iraq for the final time what year uh it was the end of 2007 uh i think i got out um I think I got out on Boxing Day, hey, uh, okay. 2007. It was around then. Yeah, so I just stayed. I had my birthday, which is just before Christmas, then Christmas, and and then uh, went straight to South America. Just, yep. Yeah. And so any, uh, you got any PTSD or any kind of depression from uh, from that experience? Um, you know, I, I, I really do count myself as one of the lucky ones. And when I say one of the lucky ones, I mean one of the few lucky ones. Uh, and the reason I count myself as lucky is because I found a purpose after that. And, uh, and that purpose is something that's become a passion. And that is, that is animals. Uh, and that's, that, was an, that was an accident, man. 
uh, didn't think it was going to end up where it ended up. Um, had I uh, not found that, then who knows? You know, I mean, I've, in the last in the I mean, the last handful of months, less, uh, I've had you know four or five guys that I've worked with or been part of the units that I was with that are, that are committed suicide. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a shitty thing, hey. You know, and and countries that want to send their kids to war need to be able to figure out how to pick up the pieces when they come home. And I don't think we've done that yet as a society. And uh, often um, you look at a department like Veteran Affairs in Australia, which uh, it, it seems like a constant battle in trying to keep people from getting the help they need. Uh, it's like an insurance company and they, they, don't want, they don't want to pay out the claim, you know, they don't want to give the help. And, and so people struggle and, and they struggle to a point where they go, well, rather than keep struggling, the easiest, the easiest thing for me to do right now is to fucking end it. And that's, you know, when, when guys are saying the easiest way for me to, to, to move forward from here is to end my own life, then you know the system is broken. You, um, you, you mentioned that uh, you, you found your purpose, right? Yeah. And it, it's really saved you. What, uh, what led you to Africa to begin with? Uh, you know, and, and what year was that? It was, uh, mate, I, I came here for adventure. Uh, so after Iraq, I took, you know, this sabbatical type leave, I thought, you know, nine years military service, still had 10 fingers, 10 toes and a couple of marbles rolling around upstairs. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I saw that as a, as a reason to go and celebrate and celebration turned into, you know, instead of just going for a, for a bit of a, a a trip to South America, it turned into a, a pretty rapid downward spiral of drugs and alcohol. And, uh, you know, I just ended up like partying all day, every day, really. And just, you know, using that, that as the excuse, like I've earned this reward. And I, I was picking like the, you know, I was looking at different people that had done different things and I was picking the certain parts from their lifestyle, uh, that I thought were okay and stitching them together to build a picture of what I thought was all right for me to live as, as some sort of reward uh, on the back end of, of what I'd done in the military. And, you know, fortunately, you know, I, I mean, I hit rock bottom uh, for, I was one of the lucky ones that bounced. Hey. And uh, you know, a lot of guys when they hit rock bottom, that's it. And, you know, I, I decided. What did, to, what, did, what, did, what, did, what did rock bottom look like for you? Uh, two days a week. I can, Monday to Wednesday, fucking on uh, any sort of drug you can imagine, and a bunch of alcohol, and then break in the middle, and then do it again Thursday through to Sunday. Reset, go again. Reset, go again. Reset, go again. I left Iraq about 117 kilos ripped. Uh, I don't know what you guys do in the pound scale, but that was is quite large, hey. Um, well, yeah, 100, yeah, yeah. Well, 170 times. Uh, what there's 2.2 pounds in a kilo, so you were, like, two, 260, it would have been 260 pounds, so 117 kilos, probably like 260. Yeah. I was in awesome condition, and then you know, within 10 11 months, I was down to 89 kilos, just I was like a shaved bird, man, right? right. I was just not eating and just treating myself like shit. And uh, you know, again, would I change anything? No, because that was the kick in the ass I needed to give myself uh, to get back on uh, on track. and and sort my life out but uh i'd heard about anti-poaching just it sounded like a the next romantic adventure and i got on a plane and went to africa man yeah right and and then you're you're so you're in africa are you in zimbabwe where are you when you 
when you came across this, uh, this, this elephant that had been mutilated? Yeah, so I mean, I, I traveled around the southern part of the, co the continent for about six months, just meeting people, getting to know the lay of the landscape in terms of conservation, who's who, how things are done, trying to get a job everywhere. But everyone, everyone saw me coming. I was, you know, I was, I was walking and saying, hey, you know, look at me, I've got all these skills and shit. Just give me a job so I can run around the bush and, and hunt some poachers. And I was there for all the wrong reasons and not respecting or acknowledging that some people have been doing this for, for decades. Um, my attitude changed the more I traveled and the more people I met. And uh, my attitude was, you know, when I arrived was, you know, where, you know I want to do this for six months and, and get the next set of pictures for my social media. And then uh, it started, the more people you meet, the more people you realize, hey, it's not, there's, there's more to life than running around looking for your own next adventure. And particularly seeing rangers. Uh, and I got to start working with a group of rangers in Zimbabwe. Uh, you know, after traveling through five countries looking for that 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 opportunity it happened yeah. in Zimbabwe and uh, having come from Iraq and seeing the amount of money that that machine was spending on on you know chasing oil really uh, and sending sending kids home in body bags uh, and then you see rangers who are fighting for the heart and lungs of the planet and and got fuck all you know they've got they've got and it's a lot of them didn't even have uniforms or boots or the right training or anybody to give them the time of day. And, uh, you know, I just, I just fell in with them and started training them, seeing the response that, that we were getting just by giving them that time of day and putting all my own money into trying to uplift this unit and then other units and providing more training. And I'm like, okay, well, this isn't very sustainable. And that's when I started the, the IPF international anti-poaching foundation in October, 2009. Wow. And so what animals exactly are you guys uh, protecting? So we started off as an organization that would go out and recognize areas where um, what we term high target species are being, are being hunted by poachers. So an elephant uh, or a rhino, the value of its tusk uh, or, or its horn in the case of a rhino, uh, these are, are being targeted by organized crime syndicates. They hire uh, or they put a, a reward or a price on, on the, the, these, these products. And so you get these insurgency-like units, uh, paramilitary-like un uh, poaching units crossing international borders using heavy caliber rifles, automatic weapons to go and hunt these animals. And so we, we, when we stood up the organization, we said, well, let's go out and, and do what we're good at. You know, let's be the last line of defense for these animals standing between the guy with the gun and the animal. And... Uh, that's what, that's what we did. You know, we started with uh, our own area that we were, we were based in, then training other units, expanding that out. And uh, over the years, uh, we've evolved as an organization. Like we, like we evolve as, as, as people, you know, uh, nature has got billions of years to evolve us as individuals uh, or as organizations. We've got a, a lifetime to cut away the bits that don't work, keep the bits that do and, and keep moving forward. And that's what we've done as an organization. So, Starting as an organization back there in 2009 that went out and trained rangers to, to defend elephant and rhino. We've now, we, we actually have five parks of our own in conjunction with, uh, in partnership with local communities. We've got over a million acres. Uh, we'll have another 600,000 acres, uh, uh, I would say, by the end of, of May that have been signed up. Uh, so we'll have eight parks under our portfolio by then and training a growing force of rangers that go out and protect nature. So not any one particular species, what we found uh, or, or come to realize and acknowledge is if you just protect the area, then every animal, every species flourishes. And that's, that's what we're about now is, is trying to hold on to as much of the natural world as possible.
So, so since 2009, have you found have the, the amount of poachers that are going after you know, the, the rhinos, the elephants and whatnot, is that getting worse? Is it, is it kind of receding at all? Um, what, what, what's look, your uh, look, uh, the, the projects that we've taken on, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to, to blow ourselves up here. Yeah. Not in the, that sort of sense, like blow ourselves up, but even yeah. talk yeah. ourselves up. Um, the areas that we've we've committed to, uh, there has been dramatic downturns in, in poaching. Uh, for example, when we took on the project along the Kruger National Park border, uh, in the southern third of Kruger National Park, you're looking at about a third of the world's remaining rhino population when we took over that project. And um, when we set up on the other side of the, the Mozambique border, uh, where most of the poachers were coming through, in the first six months, we drove a 90% downturn in rhino poaching. Wow. Uh, in the area directly, directly next door to where we were. Uh, and at the end of 2016, that had helped <clears throat> lead to a, an international downturn in rhino poaching for the first time in almost a decade. Uh, the lower Zambezi Valley, where we are now, uh, it's an area that had lost uh, around eight to 9,000 elephants in the 16 years prior to our occupation. Uh, since we've come there, there's been an 80% downturn in, ele in elephant poaching across that landscape. Uh, we've just picked up a, a large uh, contract uh, and when I say contract, a partnership to manage a piece of land uh, in conjunction with local communities, uh, which is further to our, our west. And in that, in that region, 75% of elephants had been lost, say, in the last 15, 16 years. So we're going to try and replicate what we've already proven in other areas and just keep driving this downturn. Poachers are, uh, poachers are people that will go where the job is easiest. And you know, if, if, we, if we create a presence in, in an area, uh, they do migrate to other areas, but we back that up with work and special investigations. So whilst we protect one area here, we're, we're everywhere in terms of our investigations work. And that's those, those two working together is, is where we get a lot of our results. When I say results, you know, in the last three years between special investigations and, and the women, uh, and we can get onto the fact that we actually do, you know, I want it, yeah. and scouts are, are women, uh, almost 600 arrests that have been made in the last three years alone. Wow. So do you guys, do these poachers um, ever go after you guys? Like, is, are, you, are your lives in danger at all? Or um... Um, We have had rangers attacked in their own homes. Uh, I'm quite protective about where I live and what I do. And we've got, I mean, I've got a, a guard station at the front gate there. Uh, wow. Ultimately, yeah, we, we, we're taking money away from organized crime and... Yeah. There isn't a day that doesn't go by that I don't, I, I don't think about uh, the risks that, that uh, are being taken to, to do this job. And yeah. people do get taken out. Yeah. Uh, a guy at Wayne Lotter, head of PAMS Foundation up in Tanzania, similar, similar type guy doing a similar type job for an organization he started that was a similar size. And you know, he was assassinated, uh, uh, I think, August 2017 on the way to the airport in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. Mm. Uh, bike pulled up next to them and, and filled the car with an AK-47 uh, magazine. So, you know, it's there. Uh, the good thing is that I've built an organisation that is not reliant on one person. We've got a, a brilliant team. Uh, and if I go, and bring it on, motherfuckers, if I go, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's a brilliant team that, that has already got the slack. And, you know, we're expanding. Uh, even with the current crisis, uh, that we're going through and you're seeing millions of jobs being lost around the world. You'll see on our, if you go onto our Facebook page, we're actually advertising for more instructors. We're still recruiting. 
we're still growing the organization we're still increasing our footprint yeah so when i um spoke to you at sundance film festival in 2018 um you had just mentioned to me how you were starting to bring bring on women as yeah. as, as rangers and how they were just so absolutely fantastic and you were so impressed yeah. with them and, yeah. and, it, and you just mentioned it are are most of your rangers now women and why is that so that program that i spoke about along the the kruger national park mozambique border uh it was a heavily militarized operation and conservation is becoming increasingly militarized not only across the african uh, landscape but, but around the world and that's through frustration and desperation. And I mean, if you see guys coming with automatic weapons and heavy caliber rifles, you sort of think, well, we need to push back against that. And to push back against it, you need more guns and more, more manpower. Uh, so the operation in Mozambique, we had helicopters, aircraft, canine attack teams, drones, and we, we essentially mounted this war against the local population. And the local population was where all these rhino poaching syndicates were operating from. And you know we were spending we were spending truckloads of money on on maintaining this war. We were achieving our, our our mission of stopping rhino poaching, stopping poachers coming through that section of the border. But this this long term war that we were having just wasn't sustainable. We're doing the same thing that we did in Iraq. And if I if I left Iraq, not only with a, you know a bunch of money. I left Iraq with something more valuable than that, and that was a lesson. And the lesson was that you can't send in a foreign force and expect to have a long-term good relationship with the local population. And uh, it's exactly the same thing that I that I, I moved into in in conservation and replicating the same mistakes. Um, didn't know any other way. Uh, you know, it's it's if you're under attack, what do you do? You fight back. It wasn't until uh, 2016, 2017, we're starting to see more and more industries getting ahead by getting more women into management, more women on the board, uh, more women as CEOs, and then reflecting back on our own industry of conservation, seeing where women are outnumbered on the ground in the bush by around 100 to 1. And so it's, it's, it's like if, if I said to you, you know, Rip, we want to just we want to put this person into a management position at the fire station but they don't have any, any real ground experience. You'd be like, that's crazy. You know, people are going to lose their lives. And it's the same with conservation. We couldn't just grab a woman and put her, put her in as a manager uh, because they, they need to be able to get that, that experience from the ground up and rise up through the ranks because when they have to make shitty decisions in a tough time, people's lives are at stake. And so if women weren't getting that access to the, the experience they needed, then they couldn't genuinely rise up uh, through the ranks and fulfill management positions in conservation. And that for us, was a it was a was a huge roadblock you know we, we you know if we can't get ahead like other industries are getting ahead are we still going to be talking about animals going extinct and so we we, we started scouting around saying you know we want to try this program uh we want to we want to train an all-female force armed all-female force and we got closed doors everywhere nobody wanted to take the risk even though we were willing to put up all the capital and uh, eventually we found an abandoned trophy hunting reserve and this this part of of the whole equation was an accident. But when we when I'll, I'll talk about the economics in a minute, and if we start to look back at at uh, the whole trophy hunting angle and how this has fit together, it's it's actually it's been a huge blessing, really. But so so we we found an abandoned trophy hunting reserve. Trophy hunting is a dying industry uh, across many of of 
Africa's countries where it's, where it's uh, used as an economic model to support conservation. The reason it's dying is we've got shrinking uh, wildlife populations across some of the, the major ecosystems and landscapes where, where hunters would come. Second reason is a shifting policy or regulations surrounding the export of certain trophies, for example, ivory from Zimbabwe to America. And uh, Americans made up more than 50% of the clientele that used to come to Zimbabwe and hunt for elephants. Mm. Okay, so they're not allowed to export that ivory back to America anymore. So 50% of the clientele is wiped out. The third reason is you've got a generation raised on social media that just doesn't want to get on a plane anymore and fly across the world to shoot something in the face. So if you look at, look at Zimbabwe as a country, 20% of the entire landmass of this country was set aside for trophy hunting. Uh, areas held in trust, owned by the local communities. The local community has used hunting as the economic model. So they would lease those areas out, out to a, what is called a hunting operator. The hunting operator then has a quota, X amount of elephant, zebra, kudu, impala, lion, that he can then go and sell to foreigners. So they come over here, they go out with the operator, they shoot their animals, they pay the money, they go home with their trophies. So when the hunting operator is failing uh, economically, these areas are left vacant. And you're talking about vast areas of land and uh, across the African continent, there's an area the size of Texas that's been set aside, collectively the size of Texas that's been set aside for trophy hunting. So if, if, if trophy hunting is no longer working as an economic model, we need to find something to fill the vacuum. And that's where we went and started speaking with uh, local traditional leaders uh, and rural district councils or local governments saying, listen, we want to try this program. You've got nothing to lose. You've got a vacant block of land there. It's not making any money. It's either going to be lost to human settlement, cattle grazing, uh, illegal mining uh, and, and timber harvesting. Uh, so you know, let us trial this model. And they were very reluctant uh, in a very patriarchal society uh, to allow us to, even with the track record we had and successful operations we had using men, uh, to bring in uh, our model and say, or oh, instead of instead of employing men, we're going to employ women. And so they said no. And eventually, we negotiated a three-day period with them to do a uh, a trial, like a, a mini sort of special operations selection uh, period, and and put the women through that. And uh, it was those three days that just, I mean, they blew it out of the water. Uh, the women that we, we brought on to that program absolutely blew it out of the water. And there, there was no question in anyone's mind uh, there and then that this was a program that we needed to grow and take forward. Wow. Sorry, that was a long-winded. No, no, no. And so how many women do you now have that are part of the, uh, this force? So we started with, with 16. Uh, we've got 120 uh, on the books now. Um, 80 of those are uh, in training. So they've been through the initial part of training. We've had to stop training at the moment because of the pandemic. Training has been uh, postponed because you can't have groups of people uh, that big together. Um, we will employ another uh, 80 women before the end of the year, and then another 80 in the first quarter of next year. So we, we, are, we are on target to have 20 parks or preserves of our own by 2025 with a force of 1,000 women protecting those areas. That's fabulous, really fabulous. You know what, Rip? I think yeah. so too, mate. And they are, they, no, I, they, they do, mate. I'm so proud of them. Uh, yeah. Like they, they, they're ass kickers, hey? And uh, they are doing an amazing job. They've made 191 arrests already. They've helped drive a, a downturn in elephant poaching across the entire landscape. 
but the women that we've all employed, they're all survivors of serious sexual assault, domestic violence, AIDS orphans, single mothers and abandoned whites. And so we, we, we basically, uh, we, we, and these women got no concessions, hey, zero concessions from us because in the eyes of most, they had more to prove. And so we, we, we did, we put them through hell, mate. And they, they would look back and smile. The, the harder we pushed them, the more they smiled and laughed and giggled. And it's like, it nearly drove me crazy. Uh, <laughs> But um, they, they're tough. They're brilliant at doing their job. We've had, uh, I mean, the, the, if we start to look at the things that make this program a success, uh, Zimbabwe uh, has one of the lowest ratings on the Global Corruption Index. Uh, so if you can come here and remove corruption from any equation, you're already halfway home to achieving whatever it is you want to do. We haven't had a single inc incidence of corruption with the women. Uh, the women naturally de-escalate tension. Uh, women seem to be a little bit different than, than us males in, in, in that respect, not to stereotype, but they, they want to have a talk to a problem before they blow it up or shoot it. And uh, which is great when you're trying to have a relationship with tens of thousands of people that live alongside an area you're trying to protect. Uh, they're brilliant at collecting information uh, and information is what leads us to uh, allocating the limited amount of resources we have in the most effective way. And around the world in law enforcement, around 3% of crimes that are solved are solved by catching someone in the act. The other 97% are solved through intelligence-led operations, which requires information. And that's the women are brilliant at that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where we're at. We are. We need, <laughs> uh, we need more women doing more in every walk of life, government, uh, you know, you name it, law enforcement, firefighting. Um, they are just so much more uh, emotionally, I think, um, suited for so many things. They're just, they're, they're amazing human beings. They really are. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of the access or opportunity that, that, that is lacking out there is, is just a, a matter of us guys being able to step back from the, the ego barrier that, that, that we keep in place and yeah. just saying, you know, there's a different way of looking at things. It doesn't mean it's better or worse. It's just different. Yeah. Uh, for us, it's been it's been better. Uh, I mean, the, it, it shifts for us. It shifted the entire economics of conservation because the increasingly militarized side of conservation going on here, and then the other side, you're trying to do more and more community work to counterbalance this war that you've got going on, and it's expensive. Uh, the women that naturally de-escalate the tension. Uh, with 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 the communities that they come from, we we employ all our rangers and scouts come exclusively from the local community. So they've grown up in these communities. Their grandparents were there. Their parents raised them there, and they're going to raise their own children there. It's where they're from. They they, they have a long term vested interest in the well being of these communities. Historically, how we would form anti poaching units is we would recruit from around the country. We bring in a unit uh, to protect an area from. Uh, at some point in history, the local population have been forcibly ejected from to create that park or that reserve. So there's already hostility. And the reason that we would bring in, well, not necessarily foreigners, but people that were foreign to that area is to avoid corruption. We didn't want people to have collusion with, with uncles or brothers, fathers, who, the people they'd grown up with, giving information about where they're going to be patrolling or the, where the, the animals like elephant or rhino are going to be. What that, what that did is it dispersed the biggest line item in our budget, which is range of salaries around the country. Uh, and so all this conservation funding was being dispersed away from the area that we're actually protecting. Uh, and then the guys would go on leave, they'd go back home and, and, and take their money with them. 
and that, that, that for us was a way to reduce corruption. Now, with the women, and as we continue to expand this operation, having not seen a single case of corruption, we can employ 100% from the local community. Uh, and what that does is it turns the largest line item in our budget from something that was being splashed around the country to something that is now going into the community, not at government level, not, uh, at no other level uh, other than household level and into the hands of women who spend 80 to 90% of their salary on family and local community versus a male that spends 30 to 40%. So we, we are actually, with this model, we're putting the same amount into the local community every 34 days as what trophy hunting was able to do per annum. So we have a viable economic alternative to trophy hunting, which is only working with women at the center of the strategy. Wow, wow. <clears throat> what, what is the, uh, what's the cost of living like uh, there in Zimbabwe? Uh, more than, uh, I think 52% of the population lives on less than $2 a day. Uh, so I think so, those figures from about 2016, 2015. Right. So it's tough, hey? It's tough. Um, you know, it's, 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 you know, we've got, there's, there's economic uh, problems here. There's cash flow problems. There's high unemployment. Yeah. It's still, a, it's a beautiful country though, man. It's, it's a beautiful wild country. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, I love it. Put it this way, man. I'm, I've been fortunate enough to travel around the world and see lots of different places, meet lots of different people. And this is the place I choose to live. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering. So I think you said you have about a hundred, hundred and, 60 um women right now that are that are part of the organization is that correct so we this project has 171 uh, personnel 120 of which are, are women. okay okay and and i'm wondering uh, you know i think that the the plan strong audience this is you know right up right up our alley if if people wanted to kind of get behind and and give to this organization like what if somebody was to give, let's say, five hundred or thousand dollars? Yeah. What What could that do as far as you bringing on so many women to help with your with your efforts? So a thousand. So or the 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 entire program is vegan too. So we're, we're um, gonna we're gonna talk about that in a sec. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right, so thousand dollars provides food for for one ranger for an entire year. Wow. Uh, so, um, yeah. You know, I mean, there's everything from from food to salaries to equipment their tactical equipment uh even the you know the the unfortunate stuff that they have to also carry personal protective equipment uh non-lethal and lethal munitions whether it's a whether it's a firearm or whether it's the uh, pepper spray or taser guns uh that sort of stuff is also also used and i'll, I'll say after 191 arrests the, the women have only had to fire shots once um so the, the this is this, this uh it's not something you can teach this, this form of democratic policing. They have it. And it's, it's, it's far more valuable than biceps or bullets. Uh, when you can go out and have this, this relationship and be able to deescalate a situation, not only about the situation that's unfolding, but about the repercussions that come from the local community, the community that, that, I mean, some of our leases, the longest lease we have is 40, 46 years. So we've got to maintain a relationship for 46 years. And I'll tell you what, kicking doors down and putting guns in people's faces is not the way to do that um so yeah it's it, i mean there's there's a, a vehicles fuel uh these are all things that we we continuously having to fund uh the whole situation that's unfolding at the moment uh, around the world interesting hey and it just i mean just the twists and turns that we're all going through on a, on a daily basis 
uh, and I don't think anyone is, is, is immune to the effects that it's having on our business, on our lives, on our, on our, on our families. Um, but we, we, I mean, we, we saw this coming and we start, you know, over here in Zimbabwe, things are a little slow in terms of uh, the, the virus spread, which is great, but also in terms of, I suppose, getting some uh, systems in place, but, you know, watching the news in, in America or Australia and seeing where this was going. I'm like, okay, this is, you know, this is going to hit here. It's going to, you know, if it does take off, it's going to hit uh, probably harder than, than places that have um, uh, more well-established infrastructure. Um, we, we predicted a 75% downturn in funding over the next 12 to 18 months. And we did models uh, working on that. We then went over the cash reserves that we had uh, and we essentially scrutinized every single dollar that was being spent uh, in the organization. We're able to make cutbacks, uh, delay certain projects, delay some expansion and work out a model that keeps us safe for the next 18 months and being able to maintain a footprint on the ground. That this is this is two two to three weeks ago when we actually finished implementing all these changes. In the last few days, we're starting to see articles coming out. The Guardian newspaper on, on Bloomberg saying that one of the the greatest things we can do to negate the chance of this happening in the future is to protect wildlife and to stop to stop wildlife from uh, getting into these markets in the first place. Because once it's in the markets, it's too late. So what we need is we, we actually need to be able to stop poaching from happening in the first place. And look, I never thought I'd be sitting here saying, you know, the job that, that, that rangers do around the world is part of protecting the future of civilization itself. You know, I, I knew we're out there protecting animals and protecting nature. Nature is Earth's self-regulating system. I just didn't think things would become so front and center so quickly. By now... I hope you've treated your dog to a high-protein, high-fiber meal by my friends at Wild Earth. They make dog food and treats that contain zero animal products and have everything your dog needs and nothing they don't. My dog Jade is one active dog and has to keep up not only with my family, but with me when I go out for my 10 to 15 mile mountain bike rides. I love knowing that I'm giving her the healthiest, cleanest food on the market. Try a bag today and save 40% when you use the code PLANTSTRONG at wildearth.com or amazon.com. When, so let's, let's talk about you and your, your journey to, um, to becoming plant strong, right? Becoming yeah. plant, plant-based. When, uh, when, did, when did that start? Because I'm sure you didn't, uh, in 2009, when you started this organization, the, the, the founder of the you know, anti-poaching, international anti-poaching organization, you weren't plant-based, correct? No, nah, I used to eat my steak blue, like literally run it through, run it through a warm room and, uh, and that was it. Eh? You know, and, and that in itself was like this macho thing. You know, I mean, I, I used to love the taste of meat and steaks and all that. And uh, I was just, I don't, I don't know. You know what it's like, you know, go, oh, right. guys like to think that guys like to think that they're, they're proving something by the size of their steak or maybe, maybe we're making up for something that was lacking. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. And then we, we, I used to go back to Australia each year from Africa, uh, 2009, 10, 11, 12, and I do these we, uh, with a with a, a team back there. We had a whole committee. We used to do these uh, music festivals called Raw for Africa, 
And then there were some people on the committee who were, who were vegan. I was like, fuck, bloody vegans. <laughs> and, uh, and I say, you know, can we serve some vegan food here? Like that, this is in the first festival. I'm like, yeah, we can serve some vegan food. And then the next festival was like, well, they were saying, well, why should we be serving meat if we're trying to save animals? And I've still got the emails, hey, my responses, like fucking chickens are not going extinct. Cows are not going extinct. Look at all the work, all the typical excuses. Look at all the yeah. work that we're doing protecting these animals. Like it's, and if we're gonna, if we're gonna serve up some, some animals over here, you know, I think, I think we've earned the right to do it. And all the bullshit excuses that I'm sure you've heard over the years tenfold, uh, I was telling myself, but ultimately um, yeah, I was bullshitting myself and I'm not someone that likes to do that. And, uh, you know, more and more uh, what I was, you know, traveling around the world, giving lectures and talks and doing events and that. And what I was saying, I'm getting up on stage saying we've got to look after the wildlife, looking after animals. But what I was saying and how I was behaving, it, it, we're off in two different directions. And that didn't sit well for me. And uh, for a lot of people, hey, it's, it's daunting. You know, you've got to try and figure out, you know, one, how am I going to eat and survive? And two, how, how am I going to fit into the, the social structure that I've known for my whole life up until yeah. here? And what are people going to say? And then and I was out patrolling all day, protecting one group of animals and, and then coming home cooking another, another animal. It's just it's like it wasn't, it, it, it was bullshit, man. It was, it was a, a hypocrite. Uh, and I knew it. I still suppressed it. And then I was asked to do one of these TEDx talks, the Sydney Opera House, about anti-poaching. And I don't know. I don't know exactly how I stumbled into it, but I ended up uh, watching Earthlings. Yeah. Earthlings. And I watched a talk by Philip Wallen. Um, don't know if have you heard of Philip. I haven't. He's, he's he used to be the vice president of Citibank in Australia. Uh, he's been a great mentor of mine over the years. Uh, ran a, a, an organization called Kindness House. It was a huge, basically a city block of buildings that he made available to, to hundreds of different animal and environmental charities and provided all the basically rent and uh, administration costs for free. Uh, but he, you know, he, he supports charities all over the world. So seeing some of his talks, um, I'll send you a link after this actually, maybe you can post it up there and it's, yeah. it's, it's brilliant. And uh, Gary Rofsky watching that. And then I got up and did my talk at the Sydney Opera House for TEDx in front of two and a half thousand people. And I spoke about speciesism uh, and about what had by then become my transformation from this uh, former hunter, uh, steak loving wolfhead into, uh, <laughs> into the vegan hippie that I'd, I can despise so much previously because I was so fucking scared of them. <laughs> what were you scared of? What do you think you were scared of? The truth, man. Just the, the, truth. the truth. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. that's that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so was it, was it after that, uh, that, that, that uh, Sydney house TEDx talk that you basically decided, all right, I'm going plant-based or. I'd, I'd gone plant-based. Uh, yeah during the research for that. Uh, okay. Yeah, so quite some months before when I got, actually I'd gone, I'd gone vegetarian and then uh, less than 12 months after going vegetarian, I switched to, switched right. to being vegan. And yeah. so did you, and so, yeah. yeah. And so did you, did you get, uh, did you get a lot of shit from your friends and, uh, and family at all? Uh, like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still get shit from some people and I love it and I bring it on. Like, <laughs> uh, Cause I've got, I've got a, a, just an arsenal of responses. 
And uh, I, I'll still say, you know, it's, it's, it's the best thing I've done in my life. The single greatest decision because, I mean, at the moment, as you and me sit here, we've got, we've got women, we've got rangers out there risking their lives, uh, having to carry weapons to defend animals. And I can get out of bed each morning knowing that I, I'm, I'm protecting animals just by not eating them. And that, you know, that's the simplest way to, to defend animals is don't stick them in your mouth. Uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't get too, too much shit from, from too many people, Rip, but when I do, it's generally <laughs> from, you know, so, some, of the, uh, some, of, yeah. some of the alphas out there. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, if you're, you're, if you're an alpha, why do you want to fucking hurt something that can't defend itself? And, yeah. and, and the thing that really got under my skin um, with myself is that I was paying someone else to do something, to do something uh to someone else that i didn't really want to do myself so yeah well I, all you would have to do is just like rip open your your shirt and show them that seek and destroy and they'd like turn around and run <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, hasn't faded away yet that's the beautiful thing about a tattoo stuck there forever <laughs> yeah. when speaking of that tattoo when did you get that and and what was your what was the the thinking rationale behind it Man, I, I was like, I got that after I completed uh, well, our version of Buds, the CDAT, and was, you know, I was online, I was training to be a clearance diver. And uh, I don't know, what, I don't know, I don't know what, what it is. I'm very curious as to know why I just became that, you know, that sort of product after, you know, I had a good upbringing. You know, I went through shit at school when I was a kid, but I just don't know why. Uh, I was like desperate to be this macho guy, and uh, and I think if I knew why, I could I could probably speak better to to kids that like the kid I used to be. I'm happy to speak to you know, speak to hunters and shit. You know, that's who I used to be as a hunter and exploiting animals and all that. And 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 to to you know, I get, I get asked a lot. You know, what you know, fuck, I'm just exhausted from having these conversations to people and that. They're not listening, and 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 it, it is, you know, about veganism, about animals, uh, about going plant based, and I, you know, I keep saying to people, just keep having your conversations and keep getting better at them, yeah. because the truth is accumulative, and it took me years for the truth to finally penetrate. But once the shutters come up, they never go down again. Yeah. Uh, so just keep having your conversation, because a, a conversation, anyone's listening out there now, a conversation you have today with someone that you're frustrated with or you're seeing as exploiting an animal, you may feel as though that conversation is, is going, is, is going nowhere, but I guarantee you that it, it, it adds up and it might not be your conversation, but the conversation you've had accumulates to the end product. And eventually, eventually the, you know, people come around to the truth. Hey? They get, if they hear it enough. If people are open enough to the truth and, and, and acknowledging it. Uh, and I think now is, is, you know, what a great time. Uh, in the middle of this crisis, what a great time to acknowledge that our exploitation of nature and animals is quite possibly, uh, not this time, but uh, has the potential to be the demise of our entire civilization. Is that worth a fucking, a couple of pork chops or, or a slice of bacon? I don't think so. No, absolutely not. No, this is, this is our time to get this right. It truly yeah. is. And hopefully... Yeah. We won't mess it up because you know what? There's a lineup of a, probably another 12 pandemics that are right behind this yeah. one. Uh, so oh, absolutely, we, mate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And who knows what's been stopped already? 
or oh, yeah. what's waiting right there on the edge of these markets to be taken in there. So when people ask you the protein question, well, Damien, where, yeah. where in the world do you get your protein? I, I just yeah. want to, I want to read this quote from the game changers because I think it's yeah. absolutely, it's brilliant. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I think that I love about you the most, Damien, is your unflinching ability to just go right to the heart of the, the truth and you speak yeah. to it in such a, in such a visceral, um, in a visceral way that, that people like get it. You don't, you don't mess around on the edges. You just, you're just a straight shooter, right? And it's a beautiful thing. We don't, we don't have enough of that. But you say, you know, look at a gorilla. A gorilla yeah. will mess you up on, in two seconds flat. What does a gorilla eat? I just do the same thing as these big, great things out here. I just stick to the plants. I, I mean, it's, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, the way, and the way you say it, you know, it's just awesome. I mean, you, you probably have in one fell swoop there uh, gotten more men to, to, to come on board. It's beautiful. I'm, so I, I actually don't, I didn't go vegan for, or plant-based for, for any health reasons. It's obviously, I get all the health benefits from it. But for me, it was yeah. an ethical decision. And uh, so I actually, you talk about, you know, where do I get my protein from? I don't sit there and like count and add this shit up and that. And uh, like, I mean, I'm in good nick at the moment. Hey, and I'm, I'm, um, I'm working out every day, you know, doing like a lot of, a lot of body weight stuff. I'm stronger than I've, I've been in, in, you know, over a decade, I reckon since I was in the military. Uh, but I, I do it. So it's just you know, a lot of whole, just whole food plant-based stuff. Hey, there's no, I'm not calorie counting or, or grams of, protein counting or any of that sort of stuff it's just you know maybe i should maybe i'd be stronger and better in the gym i just uh and i just i go out there and just eat yeah. eat a shit out of food and eat eat healthy food we've got <laughs> awesome gardens here we've got uh five acres of gardens up on the projects uh where where the women are based uh we've got seven vegan chefs cooking in the bush now we've got a we've got a growing army of women doing one of the toughest jobs in one of the most remote locations they're kicking ass and they're doing it on a plant-based diet. Is that because so, of you? Is that because of you that they're they're mostly plant-based? When when the women came in for recruitment, I said, "Look, you know, this is you can do what you want when you go home, but when when we're here on the project, when we're at work, we're serving a plant-based diet, and this is why." And we actually we we started a program called Back to Black Roots, and that's getting back to uh, the, where this continent was raised on, mostly on a plant-based diet, and uh, and uh, you know, Western influences here have have bought this this meat rich diet onto into so many so many villages and towns and, and and cities and we've got huge uh problems with heart disease with blood pressure with diabetes uh with stroke uh and so we, we created this program back to black roots teaching all our staff from an, a nutritional environmental and an ethical standpoint on on why we serve plant-based food on this project Stage one is the staff, stage two is the family, stage three is the communities, and stage four is building ambassadors. And so we've got this growing community now of people that are eating more and more a plant-based diet, and not only eating it, but they know how to grow it themselves. Uh, we've got a, a plant-based, uh, sorry, a garden project going on in, in local communities. We've got a grant to start one in one of the local schools, so kids are gonna be growing their own food for their own lunch. Uh, you know, so this is, this is an important part uh, of the program uh, to, to be driven by plants. Now, a lot of the women, when they went back home uh, in the beginning, they said, 
uh, you know, that would, that would go back and, and eat meat on the weekends. But now most of them, and obviously we don't want to enforce anything on anyone or what they do in their own, their, their own home. Most of them are now coming back and saying, not only am I full-time plant-based, but my family is as well. One of the interesting things that the women said uh, when we were sitting around the campfire one night, is they said, we, we were once vulnerable and we were exploited. And we're now in a position of power and authority and we don't want to project that onto anything else that's not deserving animals being at the top of that list. And that, yeah, that, that hit home for me. Hey. Yeah. Well, I love all that. I love the fact that these women, you're introducing them to this and now they're taking it back to their families their you know, their, their villages where they live. And, um, and it sounds like also maybe their husbands, Right. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Or kind of, whereas if it was the reverse, how many of these men would go back and then, you know, <laughs> tell their families, hey, we're going to eat plant based because uh, they're probably not cooking for the families. I mean, this is, I, this is I, huge. We had a We had a male anti poaching unit, uh, one of the other projects that we, we'd run for, for many years. And I tried to implement a trial period of plant based meals. I said, look, we'll get a chef in, we'll cook. And at the time, the guys were cooking their own food, supplying yeah. and cooking their own food. Okay, we offered to bring in a chef, supply the food, give them a, a, a wage increase just to trial it because we knew it was going to be such a, yeah. so much friction there in proposing this thing. And I nearly had a mutiny. Okay, these guys threatened to walk off the job if we implemented this trial. And uh, it's, I'm just like, guys, it's just a trial, you know, and that, and they said, they said, I was coming here as a, as a, as a foreigner trying to uh, influence their culture. I'm like, hang on a second. You know, you need to look back to, to this, this yeah. continent, African continent. There's so many, so much of, of it was raised on a plant-based diet where meat or animals were killed for, for ceremonial purposes uh, only. And the majority of, of the rest of, of what people ate was plant-based. You, you actually say in the Game Changers towards the end of your segment there that the biggest threat that you guys face is the meat industry uh, and how they're yeah. slowly basically taking away you know, the, the lands there, inch by inch, mile by mile. It's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, you look at, look at the, the, putting animals into, into a, an area to graze is one thing, but the amount of land that's needed to grow uh, food crops that are that are the majority of which are, are fed to animals. Uh, I mean, you, you hear figures of of uh, one kilogram of. Oh, you guys have got the whole pound thing going. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Go with kilogram. Uh, yeah. Go with kilograms. It's good. It's yeah, one, good. One kilogram of grain to produce a kilogram of. Uh, sorry, seventy uh, kilograms of grain to produce a kilogram of beef. You know, and that's that's like handing over a bunch of money and getting not much back in return. It doesn't doesn't make sense. You know, it's it's uh you know we yeah. it takes 48 times more water to produce a kilogram of beef than it takes to produce a kilogram of vegetables too and in the water stressed environments for which we live in we want to uh, create sustainability in, in in our projects and in, in in the communities that we work with uh people cutting clear cutting land to put uh animals on to graze or to to grow crops to feed animals it's it's i mean we 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 have a very small window here as a as a generation as a civilization we look at what we're doing to the amazon where the majority of the, the clear cutting that's going on there is is for cattle grazing uh and the beef industry uh and if it, it, i'm sure many of your listeners have heard of of uh 
E.O. Wilson, perhaps the, the, the foremost biologist of our, of our time since mm-hmm. Darwin. Uh, he, he, for his Pulitzer Prize winning book, Half Earth, uh, he said, we need to set aside half of the planet for nature to stop our acceleration into the sixth mass great extinction, which for the first time in history is a man-made phenomenon. Uh, and at the moment, we've got about 17% of the Earth's surface set aside for, for, for nature. Uh, what we can't do is to lose any ground. And when we look at the, these hunting areas that, or areas that have previously been used as, uh, for hunting, if we lose those or don't come up with a different model, they're going to be lost. But also as conservationists, we, we have to recognize that our, our work can't be nine to five. Mm-hmm. Right? We, 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 we got to really, there's, there's no point going out all day and protecting one group of animals and then supporting an industry that's actually responsible for a lot more destruction than what poachers are doing. That's the agricultural industry. Industry, uh, you know, we, we need to be able to walk the talk. And you know, I've, I've been criticised for saying there's, a, there's two types of conservationists. There's vegans and there's those that don't want to take their work home. Uh, but you know what? And we've lost funding over the years. Uh, we've been ridiculed. We've been pointed out as being radical uh, because I take that standpoint. And you know what? The truth isn't for sale. Right, right. Let me ask you this. So how are your brothers and sisters doing in Australia? I know Australia has been hit hard with the, 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 the fires and, you know, the results yeah. of climate change. Uh, have you checked in with those guys? Yeah, I, mean, I was on the phone to my brother this afternoon. Uh, he runs a, he's got an Anytime Fitness gym uh, franchise. So that's obviously shut down. Uh, yeah, he's got the rights for a second franchise that he was going to open up. Uh, my mum's my just lost her job, same job for 25 years. Uh, my dad's out of work now. Um, you know, this is, this is, you know, I sort of grew up in, in a fairly stable environment, upper middle class. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, just, it's, it's crazy to watch all this, this happen, you know. And um, look, they're, they're optimistic people. Uh, they trained me, my parents. So I, so I picked up a lot of, uh, you know, the ability to be able to find uh, the, the positives in any shit situation. Uh, and they're doing the same at the moment. They're 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 they're, they're preaching their own mandate. They're, you know, they're, they're they're fulfilling their own their own mandate. And uh, you know, it's it's tough. You know, I was I was back in Australia over December and early January. I flew from Sydney to Melbourne, six hundred miles. There you go. I use miles instead of kilometres. Yeah. Uh, six hundred miles. I didn't see the ground once uh, from the time I took off till I landed because it was smoked the entire way. Mm. Uh, Billions of animals estimated to have been killed uh, during those fires, and this is look. This is just Earth uh, telling us we need to stop behaving like assholes and uh, start realizing that that we are not at the top of the food chain. We're one of we're 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 one of um, you know one cog in a in a big engine. We're the only species though that can determine what level of suffering is acceptable for for everything else that's out there. Yeah. Uh, but we need to stop. We need to stop uh, trying to dominate everything and try to figure out where we fit in, not how, not how everything else fits in with us. Mm-hmm. Man, Damien, you are amazing. You really are. You are, you are truly amazing. What, are, you, are your parents super proud of you and kind of you know, what you're doing? Do they, do they, do they understand the, the magnitude of it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, I, 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 I'm very fortunate. I've got a great relationship with both parents. My mom was yeah. very young when she had me. Uh, so that it's not a huge age gap. She was 19. So wow. we, uh, you know, we, we're quite close in, in age. So we, we, we've been sort of best mates. You know? Yeah. 
yeah, over the years. Uh, uh, very lucky there. Yeah, they obviously. Uh, have they have they ever come? Have they yeah, ever come? Have they ever yeah, come to visit? Been out a few times. Mum's been out. I think okay. she's supposed to be arriving. Uh, I'm supposed to be in America right now, coming back, and then she was supposed to be landing in in early May to come and spend uh, spend a few weeks out here. Um, yeah, I think that would have been her thirteenth trip. Wow. But, um, yeah, tell, tell me, so, tell, yeah. tell me. Um, so, we, I was going to try and get together with you. You know, when you were in the states, yeah, uh, because you're doing something with national. Geographic, right? Aren't you doing like some sort of a touring around talking? Yeah, so I've been speaking. I uh, just did a tour late last or finished a tour late last year for National Geographic Live, uh, which was awesome. You know, going, arriving, and going out and giving these these talks on, uh, but you know, my my evolution, and then you know the first half of the talk conservation, and then excuse me, the second half of the talk about Akashinga, which is the the project we have here in Zimbabwe. Uh, where all the women are uh, at the forefront of, of conservation. So speaking about that. Um, yeah, what, 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 what's, what does that name mean, Akashingwa? Akashinga translates Akashinga. into the, bra the brave ones. The brave uh, ones. Wow. Yeah, it's a name they come up with for themselves. Uh, and it's the only network of nature preserves in the world that are, that are protected by women. Uh, and it's a growing network. So it's, it's, as I said, women out there doing one of the toughest, most respected jobs in and absolutely killing it. Um, wow. You are so, yeah. I, can, I can tell you are so proud of, of, yeah, of, yeah, of, these, cool, of right? these women. Yeah, well, so, so soon, soon, and maybe soon, very close to you, I'm just chatting with the Nat Geo team this afternoon, and, uh, uh, but the, it, it'll launch uh, a short form documentary uh, produced by James Cameron, same as uh, so, yeah. you know, a, lot of the, a lot of the team that was involved with Game Changers. Um, uh, help bring this uh, to to the big screen, so it's going to premiere, uh, I think, in the next couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, just more traction, getting getting the story out there, and creating more awareness around uh, around not only what we're doing and what the women are doing, but the importance of nature and, and nature conservation. Wow! So probably not the big screen, but maybe to National Geographic, right, on our screens and our in our houses. Well, yeah, actually, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. One day it'll play out on big screen somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Maybe yeah. you've got a big screen in your house. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> not that big. Yeah. Not, yeah. 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 Looking forward to getting it out there and um, yeah, just seeing the reaction. Hey, I, yeah, I'm super proud of them. And, and yeah. you know, the, the, it's, it's the, so the program, it's not just about hiring a woman to go out there and, 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 and go out there and defend a, an area. When they came in, the first thing we asked them is, what are your dreams? What do you want to do? What do you want to be? Where do you want to go? And, and, this program for them is an opportunity to get their lives back together, uh, to get a good salary, to buy land, to build a house, to get whatever education they want, and then go on and help uplift their communities and, and make room for the next uh, wave of, of young women to come through and, and fulfill these roles. Mm, mm, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Um, you're doing such important work there, uh, Damien. So, wow. Right now, what are you most excited about? I mean, anything? Uh, fearful about I'm I'm excited about what the other side of this pandemic looks like and uh, I know we're going through a crisis but I, I always say you know on the other side of hardship uh, are the spoils and uh, I think this is a really good opportunity for us as a global community to to reset to look at what's important and what's not to go back to basics in a lot of respects uh, and I mean just look at look at the situation we're in we're locked down 
with family, you're going to spend more time with family. We don't have the opportunity to travel. It's an inconvenience. I understand it. But look at nature that has a chance to breathe. And look at us now starting to realize that the situation we're in was created uh, through the way that we've exploited the natural world around us. And the, the, look, the, I mean, but the funny part is for all of this, for funny or not, you know, we, we actually, for the majority, we only give a shit when things start to personally affect us. This is something that is personally affecting every single person around the world. And, uh, you know, that's, that's great. At the end of it, we've got to actually sit back and reflect on what's happened and why it happened. And if we want to avoid this going forward, we're going to have to make changes. And, uh, you know, that's, that for me, the optimism within this shit situation is, is something that I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm happy with, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a downturn for us in terms of fundraising. It's going to be a downturn for us in terms of our operational footprint that we had been saving for and expanding out. But I think, uh, the, 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 the hardships we're going to go through here, it's going to mean things are better on the other side. Look, man, I, you know, it's, it's, we, we can't change anything at the moment other than, than, you know, wait for this thing to ride out and, and put pressure on uh, policymakers about what we can do to try and avoid this situation going forward. Yeah. It places a lot more emphasis on the work that, that I think, well, not only you're doing, but I'm doing in terms of protecting nature. Uh, you're doing in terms of promoting a plant-based diet and steering clear of the very the very diet that is at the center of uh, causing this pandemic. And for anyone out there that that, that that doesn't agree, it's like just read up, man. Read the facts. This shit happens when you when you when you concentrate uh, multiple animals and multiple species in one place because you like the taste of them. Yeah, um, Damien. This has been very, very uh, special, long overdue for, for us to connect. I'm sorry that it, it wasn't in person. Um, what I, you know, obviously I'd love to have you if, if, if the, you know, if the stars align, have you come to plant stock either next year or the year after, we'd, we'd love to make that happen so that uh, people can meet you in person uh, and see you on the big stage. But what I'd like to do before we close out here and, and say, Peace Engine 2 Plant Strong. I just want to hear the background noise there where you are for about 15 seconds. Just want to hear those crickets or Katie did's or whatever it is. Let me walk you over to the, uh, so it's actually got a bit of rain going on as well. So you got a little bit of a symphony. That right there, love that noise. Could listen to it all night long. I just Damien. might do that, Rip. <laughs> well, Damien, loved, uh, loved the conversation. Thank you for making time. And uh, I hope to see you sometime in the, in the near future. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'd love to get to uh, Plant Strong uh, one day and catch up again in person, mate. Thank you for what you do. Uh, and thank you to all your listeners for being on the right side of history. And where, and where can people go to learn more about you, the organization, and, yes. uh, and, and give? 
the International Anti-Poaching Foundation is the name of our organization, www.iapf.org. Or if you just Google anti-poaching, you'll see us come up there, get online, follow the bouncing ball and just read about what we do. Thank you. All right. Cheers, man. Damien, peace. Engine two, keep it plan strong. Thanks so much to Damien Mander and his brave ones, his Akashinga at the International Anti-Poaching Foundation for the incredible work that they are doing to protect the planet. I'll close it out by repeating one of my favorite lines from the interview. It's time that we acknowledge that our exploitation of nature and animals has the potential to be the demise of our entire civilization. Is that worth a couple of pork chops or a slice of bacon? Absolutely not. Got to agree with Damien 110%. Thank you to all of you for your support. To learn more, visit theplantstrongpodcast.com for all of the show notes and episode resources. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, Wade Clark, and Carrie Barrett. I want to thank my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Kryle Esselstyn for creating a legacy that will be carried on for generations and being willing to go against the current and trudge upstream to the causation. We are all better for it.